0: It seems to me that for her, the chief advantage of doing this was an opportunity to complicate or perhaps even disown the red pill, blue pill meme. That seems to be based on the evidence, her chief regret from the first cycle of films.
1: And this is where the conclusion of the film comes in and where I ultimately find it a little bit unsatisfying. I want to read here from another review of the film. This one is from Joseph Earp, uh, and it's published by a website called ethics.org that I'm not familiar with. Joseph Earp writes, There's hope here too. Resurrections is, among other things, a pain to the power of storytelling. Those characters who attempt to dismiss our ability to spin fictions, chiefly the therapist and the capitalistic Agent Smith, who want to turn narratives into more products to be sold, are the film's villains. Its heroes are those who fully embrace the power of the stories that we spin for ourselves, whether they be video games or complex narratives about their own past. After all, though it might be bleak to imagine that the external world is always filtered through a shaky subjective experience, that means their fantasies are as powerful as life-altering as anything "quote unquote" real. The world is forever what we make of it. So he goes on, and I think this is exactly right: that Neo and Trinity have given up the search for epistemic foundations. They don't kill the the therapist. Uh, this is the analyst who has kept them in bondage in the Matrix. Instead, they thank him. After all, through his work, they have discovered the great power of redescription, the freedom that comes when we stop our search for truth, whatever the nebulous concept might mean, and strive forever for new ways of understanding ourselves. And then arm in arm, they take off, flying through a world that is theirs to make of it.
0: Well, there's an implication at the end of the film that they're not necessarily going to destroy the Matrix. They're not going to destroy the fake world, but instead they're going to paint rainbows in the sky. I guess it's ambiguous. I guess you could interpret what they say as meaning they're going to keep fighting Fighting for the destruction of it but I suppose you could also read it as they're gonna work within this system and they're gonna make the fake world more like the real world and shock the people in the fake world out of their complacency well our analysis here has been weighed pretty heavily on the side of this movie and this franchise's critique of capitalism it seems that this final conclusion that it's drawing to speaks a lot to the dimension of the film that is an allegory for the trans experience
1: yeah and i think that's the most optimistic reading of the ending because the film hasn't abandoned the idea of freedom it's just abandoned the idea of kind of objective foundation it's saying the world is yours to reinscribe. it's it's yours to remake you know go and paint the sky with rainbows I think the film works very well if you interpret it in that way. I think it works less well, or at least the conclusion is less satisfying, is if you read it as we've kind of been reading it, and if you read The Matrix as a metaphor for kind of capitalism, or rather late capitalism. You know, I'll just reiterate, in the original Matrix, there is an objective reality outside of these imposed fictions, these totalizing fictions, this, you know, virtual reality. You know, there's something outside of a world where everything is commodified and where people are batteries that serve an alien force, you know, beyond and apart from themselves, where their output is alienated, their labor and their thoughts are alienated. So it's precisely that quality in the original matrix that allows you to read it as a metaphor for late capitalism, and also which allows you to interpret it as of embodying at least an implicit belief that, you know, beneath the suffocating and tedious and recycled reality and kind of false reality of our present lies the possibility of grand narrative and objective truth. In this new matrix, at least if we decide to read it as a metaphor for capitalism, if we decide to read it in this way as opposed to the other kind of more optimistic way, which I I think is definitely one uh, possible reading, that's no longer the case, right? All we have are these stories, and all we can do is kind of uh, go out into the world and make something of the stories, you know, for ourselves. So, you know, Will can go see cats, ironically, and he can go and reclaim it. (laughs) Uh, he can try to inscribe some kind of meaning onto it, but but he's still just going to see it. So I think there's a reading of this film, which is less optimistic than the queer reading, uh, which is that it's really just celebrating postmodernism while also kind of trying to ironically deconstruct it with all these moments that we've talked about. So, you know, in that reading, the world doesn't really have uh, objective foundations or not ones that we can probe or, or debate or inquire about. Instead, it has a multiplicity of narratives and those narratives in an important sense are false. They're imposed on us from above. They're artifice. But as individuals, you know, as postmodern individuals, we have the the freedom to take those narratives and take what the world gives us and and reinscribe it with something that's meaningful to us. Now, politically, I find this unsatisfying because even though I agree that as human beings, you know, I think there's something immutable insofar as it's possible to posit a category like human nature, which is obviously really fraught. But just work with me for a second. I mean, if something called human nature exists in any meaningful sense. I think it's safe to say that an an immutable part of it is the search for individual meaning and self-actualization. But I think something else that's immutable about uh, human beings is a craving for uh, some kind of collective actualization as well, or alternatively, some kind of collective emancipation. The thing that is in many ways unique about our current age, you know, the last thirty or forty years, is the absence of grand foundations and the the absence of the possibility of grand foundations, which is something I think quite unique about this moment. I'm not sure there's really any parallel to it in human history. I'm not sure what the cultural analog or if there could possibly be one to these kind of corporate property, you know, fourth wall breaking IP films that we've been discussing, which I think in many ways are a kind of high articulation of the late capitalist mode of production you know they're kind of late capitalism uh, almost becoming conscious of itself in some way like almost becoming like one of the sentient computer programs in the matrix you know becoming like a kind of agent smith and so this is why i find postmodernism you know despite all of the new possibilities it opens up for pastiche and for some kinds of individual liberation and expression this is why i find it ultimately inadequate when taken on its own This is why I think a lot of the time, and this perhaps speaks to one of the two biggest uh, philosophical differences you and I have, this is why I think it often leads to bad art and incoherent aesthetics.
0: I mean, you know, when you say that in the abstract, I suppose I believe it's more when we get to specific examples that I start to quibble. (laughs)